0: The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches.
1: Hello, Happy New Year. Welcome to another year of The Cycling Podcast. Last week we heard from the youngest rider in the World Tour, Kian Uterbrooks. I hope you've all been practising his name. And this week... The band is back together. That means that I'm with Lionel Burney. Hello, Lionel. Hello, Richard. And Daniel Freeb. Hello, Daniel. Lionel, Richie. Wow. Oh, wow. A new year, but the same old jokes. Well, for we haven't had that one for
2: a few years, I don't think.
1: That's true. Rolling back the years. Um, Lionel, you are Rolling in, back the years. It's a, it's a new Lionel. Rolling back the years. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> different, art, different recording artist. I can see Lionel's sharp focus and the, the background blurry. I'm sure that's deliberate, um, but it looks very good, Lionel. You're looking sharp. How many kilos have you lost now since we last spoke to you?
3: Uh, I haven't lost any more since um, I reached my target weight, Richard. I <laughs> But I didn't put a lot, a lot of weight over Christmas, which I was very pleased about. Um, I could easily have ballooned up, given my fondness for all things meaty, cheesy, whiny. Um, but I was very disciplined over Christmas. Big year ahead, on the bike and off the bike. So of eating,
2: big year of eating. It <laughs> sounded like you were going to say that.
3: <laughs> it could well be. Yeah, aiming to put it all back on at the Giro. <laughs>
1: What a great ambition. Um, well, this year, as ever, we'll be covering the Grand Tours and the new Tour de France fam, um with daily coverage. Later this week, Service Course returns with Tom Wally and Lizzie Banks. Next week, the second podcast, Femina, is back, and Rose Manley will be back in the in the presenter's chair. Um, and this week, we're back. What have we got in this week's episode, Daniel?
2: Well, Rich, the season hasn't started, but the training camps, the... Pro Tour, World Tour training camps certainly have. There have been media days. We've been speaking to various riders. I've been speaking to some Bora Hansgrohe riders, team uh, managers this week about their bold new approach for 2022. We've got uh, Tade Pogachar's coach, in Inigo Samyan, We've got Pog himself. And um, we've also got... Egan Bernal, haven't we? The ink is barely dry on his bumper new contract and you've been speaking to him.
1: I have, yeah. He um, didn't move to Cofidis after all, as was rumoured. Um, stayed with Ineos Grenadiers. <laughs> and uh, uh, maybe a rival for Giacomo Zolo for Wi-Fi. But we'll hear. You can be the judge of that, dear listener, um, later in the episode. Um, Lionel, I know you've not got a conventional news round up for us this week you've got a, a twist on that but I would like to give us all a, a headline to kick off the new year and it's a it's a glorious headline. Um, with the racing having already started contrary to what Daniel said, a Scotsman leads the Pro Cycling Stats wins ranking out in front with two wins, Mark Stewart, he won the New Zealand Cycle Classic, won the Queen Stage George Bennett was third in that won the race overall and he is currently the best rider in the world so well done, Mark Stewart, a Scotsman at the top of the pile. What a what a way to start the year!
3: And it's not even Burns Night; that's next week.
1: As <laughs> well. Wow. Well done, Lionel. Well Remember done. Remember
2: when we had the conversation about I about my confusion about who was who? Uh, Robbie, the, Robbie, the, Robbie the, the Robert, the Robbie, the Robert the
1: Bruce, yeah,
2: Robert the Bruce, William um, Wallace. Who was the other one? R- R- Rob Roy. William Wallace, Rob
1: Roy, Rob Roy, Rob Roy, Robbie and William Burns. William Wallace were the people you got mixed up, actually, yeah. And R- Robbie Burns is, is someone else entirely. He is a, a, a he was a poet, national and poet.
2: Mel Gibson played William Wallace. Is that right? That's
1: correct. Yeah.
2: Anyway, <laughs>
1: enough of that. Um, Lionel, have you got a twist on the news roundup, please?
3: Well, it is a twist, Richard, um, because it's that time of year where I'm drumming into my mind all of the different changes that have happened in the peloton over the winter so that I'm not playing catch-up and uh, calling all the teams by their 2017 names. So I've got a little crib sheet uh, that everyone can revise going into the year. There are some World Tour team name changes to get your heads around. Astana Premier Tech are now Astana, Kazakhstan – um, Israel Startup Nation and now Israel Premier Tech.
1: How are you spelling Kazakhstan there, Lionel?
3: I'm spelling it Q-A-Z-A-K-H-S-T-A-N, the way it's spelled on the jersey. Full How marks. are you spelling it, Richard? Same. Good. Uh, De Koenig Quickstep are... <laughs> The Koenig Quickstep are Quickstep Alpha Vinyl. EF Education Nippo are going to be EF Education Easy Post. And Team Bike Exchange are now Team Bike Exchange Jayco. Quebec and hash are no more, unfortunately. They are the team that has lost its place in the World Tour and its place in the Peloton altogether. Quite a few jersey changes as well. Some new designs to uh, tantalise the eyes. I've split these into radical changes and slight tweaks. So, in the radical changes category, we've got Bora Hansgrohe, which have gone for a really elegant design, I think, with a little red patch down on the lower portion of the jersey. Uh, Movistar have switched back to dark blue after four years wearing pale blue. Quick Step have gone back to having some white sleeves on their jersey, very similar to the jersey they had in 2017. And Bike Exchange have gone to pale blue. Uh, let's hear what Matt White, the sports director there, thinks of their jersey designs.
4: Very blue. Uh, very. It uh, does look a little bit like Gerald Steiner from uh, from the nineties. The there. Um, I like it. It's, it's a change. It's something different. And uh, we're obviously very excited to have uh, some some new partners on board. And I, I think the women's jerseys are really nice. I think uh, the uh, the aubergine and blue. I think it goes really well. And it's it's sharp. It looks good in person. And it's easily
3: identified. But the prize for most improved jersey has to go to Cofidis, I think, but only because the bar was set so low. It's improved from absolutely dreadful to pretty awful. In, in, oh, in, uh, do you think that's, that's harsh? harsh? Do you think it's no, better
2: think than it's that? Excellent.
1: I love it. I think, I think it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah, excellent. It's also, the, the Decathlon, it's also, the Decathlon yeah, it's
2: made by a superior cycling apparel brand.
1: Well, it is. It is Decathlon's um, own kind of in-house. Label isn't it Van Rysel? Is that right? Which Rysel is the is the, the 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 Dutch name for Lille, where Decathlon are headquartered? Is that correct?
3: Yes. A few more tweaks that the eagle-eyed will have spotted. Ineos have got rid of the uh, the upside down V. Uh, Bahrain have gone slightly redder at the bottom. Lotto Sudal have ditched the red shoulders. No, sorry, they've ditched the black shoulders and they've now got red shoulders and Trek Segafredo Des- got rid of describing, their Describing sleeves.
2: the colour schemes mm. on Cycling Kids, is a bit like dancing about architecture, isn't it? <laughs> it's well, that, like,
3: that's coming, up, that's coming yeah. up next. It's a bit uh, like, like snooker on the radio, isn't it? Um, yeah, very busy are you, pictures.
1: Are you, it's difficult to, I find it, I think it's difficult to judge the jerseys until you see them in action. Um, the Bora Hansgrohe r- red, um, square is very elegant, as you say, Lionel. But will we will we see it? You know, because riders are kind of bent over their bikes. Um, I are you are you? People do have very strong opinions on the kit, don't they? We haven't seen the EF one yet, although a spy spotted it being modelled in Girona last night for a photo shoot. A cycling podcast spy, and it well, the UCI accidentally leaked the EF typical Silicon Valley bank kit um a couple of weeks ago uh briefly and it was a very kind of pinky bluey um uh, quite dare I say it, garish design um but I'm sure very stylish and nice as well and it'll look great um and the men's is apparently very similar but with green shorts so we'll find out in the next few days I guess
3: I mean I'm looking at the Cofferdish jersey now and'm I'm, I'm really not seeing it well I um, I'm out of step with you guys the, here but um it's uh, no, not doing much for me, I must admit.
0: The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's Libre Sense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Euros.
1: Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens, here with us for a new year. We'll be hearing from interesting people throughout the year about their experiences using Super Sapiens, as well as us, perhaps um, less interesting people. But I wanted to mention an article that caught my eye on the Super Sapiens website, headlined, Three Ways Alcohol Affects Your glucose levels Um, in it uh, studies have shown that drinking alcohol during a meal lowers post-meal glucose spikes by 16 to 37% um, which could be a good thing um, when it comes to managing uh, your glucose levels but there are lots of caveats with that and qualifiers Um, so the the whole article is well worth reading but the key points are that moderate alcohol, alcohol consumption may have some positive health impacts, but also has potential to negatively impact recovery. In terms of glucose, alcohol tends to limit steep glucose spikes when associated with food. Alcohol itself won't spike glucose, but other parts of the drink may. Um, so a really interesting piece there about um, alcohol and its effects on blood glucose. Remember Alexis Ryan, the Canyon Shram rider, who was using Super Sapiens last year, talking about this as well and observing the effects of beer on her uh blood glucose levels that you can see by wearing Super Sapiens. Um, so thanks very much like to once again, Super Sapiens, for...
2: I'd quite like to know the effect of alcohol mid-ride on glucose levels. Lionel and I are... Uh, mentions that uh, as the, well.
1: That's in the article too. And pre-ride and pre and pre-ride as well. So it's uh, all the in there. The
2: infamous inaugural cycling podcast, Wine Tasting Evening at the end of 2021, Lionel and I sort of, we chronicled... Um, <laughs> Well, the impact of wine and other alcoholic beverages on going back through the decades on grand tours, in particular, but of course, no one will ever hear this now because well, the whole evening no, because, was so scandalous.
1: Yeah, you also experimented um, with the effects on um, alcohol on podcasting, and um, sadly, the results mean that we can never hear the episode that was recorded. Uh, it will be released for friends of the podcast at some point. We promise that's that's in 20- twenty seventy three. <laughs> yeah, what is our 50-year kind of, does it go into a vault for 50 years and get released in, in the fullest time? What are we talking about this week, Lionel, as we look ahead to the season?
3: Well, we're anticipating the Grand Tours predominantly, aren't we? Looking ahead at the Giro, the Tour and the Welter, perhaps less the Welter because it's so far away, but already things are shaping up, aren't they, for... Which riders are going to be taking part in the Giro and the Tour, the first of the Grand Tours? And, uh, yeah, we'll look in depth at whether or not to expect another uh, year of Pog. Is this the second year of Pog or the third year of Pog, really, isn't it? Um, will Tade Pogacar be the man to beat again at the Tour de France? Or Are we going to be treated to the much-anticipated showdown between Pog and Rog, the two Slovenians, and Egan Bernal? The winner of the Giro last year—it's uh, well—it's the sort of Venn diagram of the best Grand Tour riders in the world, and will we see them all come together at the Tour de France, which kicks off in Copenhagen on my birthday, July the first? Hmm. I,
1: I think that's what people want more than anything, don't they? They want to see the 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 best riders of the day going together, fully fit. It happens so rarely in cycling. You remember when we had the the Fab Four of Froome, Contador. Nibali, and who was the fourth one?
2: Nairo Quintana. Man. Nairo Nairo man. man.
1: Uh, and there was a couple there were a couple of years where the thinking was that they were all if if all fully fit, they they were they would give each other a good fight. But we never really saw that materialize for various reasons, um, crashes or whatever took riders out and denied us that spectacle. And I think that is the spectacle that we want. Primarily, the Tour de France this year, isn't it? It's to see fully fit Pogac- Pogacar, Roglic, and Bernal going head to head and uh, may the best man it's, win.
2: It, well, it's interesting, chaps, isn't it? There's there's almost a super league of three uh, riders where well, this trifecta has emerged. Um, and you can see that in the way the, the teams are announcing, well, their short list and long list for the other Grand Tours. And the resources are kind of being. Eased away from the Tour de France. Um, certainly, this applies to a lot of teams. We'll talk probably about Bora Hansgro later, but there seems to be a bit of an acknowledgement, almost a resignation among the other teams that the Tour de France is going to be contested by, by those three Rog, Pog, and Bernal. Um, interestingly, those three have also all signed lengthy contract extensions this winter. Um, very lengthy, in fact, um, in the in the last few weeks, um, which has sort of well signifies that this might not only be the storyline this year, but it might be the storyline for a few more years as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the anticipation. The likelihood is certainly as the race programs are getting announced. The likelihood is that the three of them, Pog, Rog and Bernal, won't actually face each other in a race until the Tour de France. I've been looking at the provisional race programmes that the three riders have uh, sort of put together into the public domain. It looks like Pogachar and Roglic will be uh, brushing shoulders a few times before we get to the Tour de France. They're, they're staging a sort of prog-rock roadshow, which will see them go up against each other at Milan-San Remo, at Itzulia in the Basque country in early April and possibly at Flesch-Wallone and liege Baston liege But, uh, you know, that's it before the Tour de France, whereas Bernal is following a different programme, likely to go up against Roglic at Paris-Nice, perhaps. Um, but it does all lead towards the three of them uh, coming together at the Tour de France, and clearly they all want to be in peak form. None of them are doing the Giro beforehand, so all of their seasons are based around the Tour de France. So it is uh, the the first opportunity to see the three of them, hopefully, go head-to-head in their peak form at a point in the season where they have put everything into being at their best for that particular objective.
2: I think, Lionel, um, if we can pay an early visit to Corrections Corner... Um, I think Pog is, is skipping the tour of the Basque Country as well this year. Um, I think it's been I think he's edited his what had been um thought to be his race programme, so he's not going there. But we all remember it was a fan, it was memorable last year, the battle between those two.
3: So Prog Rock, which is famous for extended and incomprehensible solos. I mean, it's just been well, it's it's down to a couple of thrashes on the high hat now, isn't it? A few one-day race showdowns before the Tour de France between Pog
2: and Rog. Well, talking, talking about showdowns, chaps, I don't know if you were aware of this, but last week at the training camp at UAE, there was a bit of a showdown of sorts. There's a famous climb above um, Calpe, where UAE was stationed, the Conde Erates. And Twitter was was on fire because Pog had posted a ride where he seemed to get the record on the Erates climb, which is a climb that pretty much every... Rider in the World Tour has done at some point or another and posted on Strava in the last few years. So getting the record there would be quite significant. But he actually, it was a bit misleading because he... And, and I'll come on to the, the bit about the showdown in a minute. But he and some other the UAE riders actually went further and they went on a, a little, um, well, it's a sort of extension of the Rates climb. And that was the record that he got, not the not the main segment. But um, he was riding up there with um, Juan Ayuso, the very promising Spanish rider who's joined UAE this year. But should we hear from Pog, from, uh, from the camp last week? He was just talking initially about... That ride up the Ratis climb, but also more importantly, um, pertinently for our discussion about the issue of Im- improvement, can he, he improve? Continue to improve this year?
0: Yeah, we done uh, we done uh, some trainings together. Uh, actually, yesterday was uh, yeah one of uh, one of the hardest training of this camp, and we we tried our our shapes on the Col de and one other climb, and. Uh, yeah, um, for me I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right now um, the shape is where I want to be for January, uh, if I want to be good in UAE Tour, so um, yeah, I'm pretty happy and I think uh, Ayuso uh, is going to be super strong this year already uh, He he's super motivated he's uh, thinking of big goals already so I think uh, yeah, um, if he will have a uh, opportunity this year he can grab it and show how how good he is I can say that uh, yeah every year there's there's less uh, less progress uh, but that doesn't mean uh, there is less motivation I still want to to improve every year but I know that uh, it's impossible to, to improve every year um, but yeah uh, for now um, I was improving every year uh, and that's my motivation to do for uh, for next year as well, um, but yeah, uh, you never know when when you stop uh, uh, pushing more watts than the previous season. Well, chaps, that's, that was a slightly
2: maudling sounding pog. Every year, there is less progress. What a very what a sad and melancholic image. And uh, uh, yeah, notion. But undeniably
1: true, however, and um, you know, I, we we talk a lot about his. Um, his personality and and how uh, how happy go lucky he he appears. Um, we are almost sadistically looking for um, cracks in his in his armor, or you know, anticipating things that might go wrong for Pog from injuries to you know misfortune of of other kinds. Because so far his career has just the the trajectory has just been one very steep um, straight line, and and the test, as we know, will come for him when things do go wrong and things will go wrong at some point. But, uh, you know, that can be in degrees. It could be that um, the the vast improvements he's made um, so far, which is partly because he's still so young, um, slow down. And how does that affect him? How does that affect his confidence? Um, That's going to be one of the interesting things to look out for this year and beyond, I would think.
2: I think we've we've spoken before, Rich, about how important the when you you're sort of touching on this there the the narrative is as soon as the widespread perception is that someone is is failing to live up to expectations then those sort of that kind of negative energy and that negative feeling about a career can almost i always get the impression that it can affect infect the rider and um well we saw that with, we've seen that many times but a, a great example is Jan Ulrich in the 90s and and noughties. but on the on the issue of Paul, I also think Daniel. I mean, more more
1: recently, Quintana, um, you know, um, and and Bernal, um, who we'll hear from a bit later on, um, how how somebody can look to be again on that trajectory, which is only going in one direction, and and it doesn't quite it, it it stops at some point. And I'm not saying that Bernal is is um, not going to go on to a wonderful career, but. He's had a couple of wobbles hasn't he and, and he and, and they have affected him definitely they've affected his confidence his ability on the bike as well so yeah I mean in 2019 um, we didn't see that coming and then and then it, it has come and it, it, what's been interesting is how he's dealt with that well,
2: on the issue of pog and his growth curve can he improve can he not uh, chaps I spoke last week to his coach. Uh, the Spaniard Inigo Samian who's been his coach for the last two three years and um, yeah asked him about Pog and the likelihood of further improvement and that statement that every year um, he he feels as though he's progressing less and less and but also on, on whether from a coach's point of view Samian would love to you know maybe try something different this year but um, because the stakes are, are so high and he's sort of constrained to be quite conservative with the training plan and they've basically, have they basically just copied and pasted what they've done in previous years um, so as to mitigate risk. So here is got Sam Mian speaking to me last week. Well, I
5: mean, this is something that we see that he's improving, but also uh, obviously we're not going to be a seen improvements of like a 10, 20, 30% each year, right? So he will, yeah,
0: he will keep improving physiologically at the end of the day. You know, he's a very young writer, like any other young writer
5: physiologically. They haven't achieved uh, maturity, you know, and uh, so my expectations are that he will continue to improve uh, how much that that
2: time will tell, right? So this is what we are assessing um over these
5: seasons you know the improvement year by year and uh yeah we'll see you know what the uh, future holds but definitely I foresee that he will keep improving little by little uh, I mean a little bit right cheer sure. uh uh but if even if he improves one percent uh that's 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 huge right and if he doesn't improve that's also good uh what I'm not foreseeing is that he will decrease its performance unless, you know, we make some mistakes, you know, in the preparation or that also uh, others improve more. There's a lot of competition and a lot of people are now trying to figure out how to beat him and uh, how to improve their nutrition, their trainings, their monitoring and uh, obviously, yeah, um, you, you never know, there's like a hidden uh, a gem, a diamond out there that maybe hasn't done the proper Training, monitoring, nutrition, etc., and then once you put all those elements together, voila, right? Have a, a, another talent. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's quite possible because uh, I've seen it before. I, I, I would say that uh, from my personal uh, uh, standpoint, uh, as a physiologist, right, this is kind of the uh, uh, what I've been putting together for. 26 years working with athletes, right? So uh, this has been a completion for me to understand uh, how to work with athletes and how to apply this knowledge. Uh, and someone like Tare, uh who has the, the perfect genes, has been the perfect person uh, combination, right, to, to complete, right, the work that I've been uh, trying to accomplish for 26 years. So, uh, and we see now that at uh, the, uh, the cycling level, Like the season that he did last year, it's probably the best season a cyclist has done since Eddie Merckx. At this point, I I definitely there's not much we can do at this point. We have to continue improving the same philosophy, uh, aiming to continue making improvements, right? And uh, and doing a lot of monitoring. And and if we see that there's something not right or something not going in the right direction, we should be able to have the tools. To correct it through the monitoring that we we are implementing uh, since day one. Also, again with a with a perfect athlete, uh, that's like oh, don't touch anything. <laughs>
1: Well, chaps, I mentioned in last week's episode that we would have some exciting news this week. And here it is. We're extremely happy to announce a new collaboration between the Cycling Podcast and MAP, who make stunning cycling and off-bike clothing as well. We've been talking to MAP for months, years in fact, about working together. It's been quite a courtship since I sent an email to them out of the blue. Uh, around two years ago Uh, they featured in some of our episodes at last year's Tour de France where I was lucky enough to sample some of their lovely clothing on my bike and uh, now here we are fully in bed together welcome map to the cycling podcast family we're very very excited indeed and I understand Lionel that Father Christmas arrived at your house today almost a month
3: late he did. He made a second visit to my house and dropped off a box of map clothing, and it really was like a second Christmas morning, Rich. I uh, eagerly opened the box and uh, unpacked a real bounty of map clothing. Beautiful stuff in lovely packaging, and well, I've got everything I need for winter riding initially. I've got the uh, the deep winter jacket and base layer. I've got some thermal bib tights. I've got some winter gloves, and first impressions are extremely impressive uh, really looking forward to getting out on the bike and putting the clothing to the test
1: you were so happy slash smug to receive this stuff <laughs> for me that i fully expected to be wearing it when we recorded this week's episode it really crossed my uh, fully mind fully kitted out in your yeah in your deep winter clothing anyway there are some really cool things coming from map and out of our collaboration with map um, more on that in the coming weeks so do stay tuned well, Inigo Sanmian there on working with the perfect athlete. I mean, he has been involved as a coach in cycling and in professional cycling for a long time, but it's worth saying a bit about him, isn't it, Daniel? He's a, a professor at the University of Colorado and his day job is not working with athletes at all. Yeah, in Colorado, he does clinical and research work in, in cancer and, and diabetes in particular. And so he coaches pogachar from a... A distance. I know that his his sort of morning routine is to get up in the morning and check uh, Pogachar's training peaks and uh, and just keep a, keep tabs on his training that way. But it, he's a he's an interesting guy to to speak to certainly, and I think his work in elite sport and with UE Team Emirates helps to fund some of his uh, very important work at the University of Colorado.
2: It was interesting. Hearing him there, I mean, he's spoken many times in the past about Pogacar being the sort of perfect specimen, the kind of perfect piece of plasticine. If you, you know, from his point of view as a physiologist, to be able to mold, and he often talks about this unique gift that Pogacar has in his view this, um, what well, he calls it, the it's known as lactate clearance, the ability to basically, um, get rid of, of lactate or work with a lot of lactate um, at high intensities. And, you know, that issue of of how much he can experiment and how how much, you know, they will try to, you know, because we hear at this time of year, every year from different riders, different coaches about how they're changing the training this year. And Inigo said that he's, you know, there aren't any major changes. Um, it strikes me it's a bit like a sort of you know an italian restaurant that's been making a, a carbonara that's had people flocking for years and years and then you sort of constrain to keep you know the chef is desperate to to you know add you don't a, an throw extra in some different mushrooms well, you, do you yeah well exactly um you're
1: going to tell um, me now that mush, mushrooms have no, no place in a real
2: you, no carbonara was a terrible carbonara. example because you can't the carbonara <laughs> recipe is is sacrosanct and you could never change it anyway but you know you e- get
3: everything sacrosanct according to you you can't change anything <laughs>
2: <laughs> but one area where well I was curious was curious to know whether they are looking to adapt or change or address anything this year was well it was to do with something Pogacar himself mentioned on a rival podcast chaps a few weeks ago remember we talked then about how he'd appeared on the Garant Thomas podcast um don't have the what's the official name of the Garrant Thomas podcast Garant Thomas cycling club I think you're Podcast. right. Um, he taught there, and we thought at the time it was a bit of faux modesty, really. Um, and he was almost kind of flattering, or, or you could say beating down his rivals by, you know, with self-effacement, self-deprecation. But he said that his weakness, if he has one, or it could be a weakness, was on long climbs. And, I, thought you, um, I thought you
1: were going to say Carbonara.
2: Well, yeah. And this was a reason you know, for Thomas and whoever wants to beat Pogacar at the at the tour this year to draw encouragement. Well, does Inigo Samian agree that Pogacar is relatively, or relative to himself or relative to other riders, um, slightly worse or inferior on long climbs?
5: Uh, no, I mean, I, I think the key part here is like, how do they get uh, to those, to that last climb? Whether it's a, a- uh, a short climb or a long climb, right? If, if they if they have traveled through the race, uh, you know, with a lot of uh, uh, intensity, right, uh, it changes things, you know, uh, uh, as opposed to getting to the last climb at lower intensity, right? So, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, for, like, you know, uh, intensities, I mean, climbs that they're like not more than eight percent, but below eight percent or nine percent. Great, uh, sure, you know, like, uh, bigger guys, right? They have, you know, they can keep up better, obviously. They have, uh, they can develop more absolute power output, and they're not so affected by gravity. Whenever it comes gravity, you got lighter cyclists and more powerful cyclists in terms of uh, power. To weight ratio, they they're they're going to be better off like like that in this case, right? If, if the competition has been going, if the race has gone at a very high pace, and they start to climb, uh, even if it's like a six seven percent grade average for long, yeah, that should have the you know the uh, the resources, right? Physiologically speaking, to 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 still be there for sure. I mean, we haven't seen any, I mean, any weaknesses, you know, in that aspect. We saw Mont Bantu, but it was like also not, not the end. you know. And we know that Tadej is very smart as well, you know. Uh, Tadej knew also that there was a long, long descent, right, all the way to the line, and there was no need to panic, right? So those are, yeah, he's very smart reading the race also.
3: I do think from his rival's point of view, expecting Pogacar to suddenly falter in the mountains is... Uh... Probably a little bit of wishful thinking. Obviously, anyone can have a bad day. Um, You know, illness is, you know, an ever-present threat in uh, the Tour de France. But, um, yeah, I don't think we're going to suddenly see him cracking in the mountains. Last year, I did think, you know, perhaps in time trials on the flat, he might have a problem. And then, of course, he blew everyone away on the stage to Laval. Didn't he um, pretty much, you know, set the seal on the, the Tour de France win with that ride? I do wonder whether the cobbled stage this year is a different beast because it's not just a physiological. Um, challenge is it he's got to race elbow to elbow over the cobbles um, but he's probably pretty well equipped for that as well I was looking back at some of his junior and under 23 results he rode the junior Paris-Roubaix in 2016 and was up there in a group with uh, Stefan Bissiger just behind Mark Hershey Jasper Philipsen and then he rode the under 23 Tour of Flanders in 2018 and was 15th you know so I mean um, probably not going to necessarily come undone on the cobbles uh, in the way that his rivals may think in fact he might be better suited to the cobbles than both Bernal and Roglic but that's one stage I'm particularly looking forward to because it is a real wild card it's the the joker stage isn't it again and uh, it will be the first opportunity to see how he gets on on what is fairly unfamiliar territory certainly at this level.
2: And even before that, Lionel, as well. Um, just I would just also mention the stages in Denmark and particularly this mm. seventeen-kilometer bridge that the rider, that the peloton is going to go over. I mean, I would be having nightmares about that. And especially, you know, you look at their team. I thought that they maybe would have would have signed another experienced big ruler. When sort of earmarked him for the tour team, they haven't really. I mean, I think they'll send Trent into the tour. They've got and um, Vegar Lengen, and Bjerg um, will all be in the shake-up. They've also got Mark Soler, of course. Mark Soler's been giving interviews the last couple of days, last few days, talking about how he, he expects to do the tour. Um, and he's going to sacrifice everything for Pogacar, but... It was sort of said with a glint in the eye and a grenade in the mouth, you know it being it being uh, 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 Marx and an
1: earpiece and an earpiece not in the ear. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'll tell you what, Francois Thomaso must be having nightmares about that that bridge in in Copenhagen. That sounds like his uh, his very worst uh, nightmare. Um. Pogacar, just before we move on to Bernal, who I spoke to earlier today, um, Pogacar as well, of course, and Mian talked about. Um, him the perfect athlete having almost the perfect season last year best season by rider. he said since Eddie Merckx um, although you know that that's I suppose debatable but he is coming off that incredible um, season last year two monuments and a grand tour and he's running the Tour of Flanders this year and um, you know who who would bet against him, him winning that but um, I, I just you know at some point this uh, this this line will falter. And as I said earlier, that the test for Pogaca will come when that moment does arrive. As it came for Egan Bernal, um, you know, uh, he went into the 2020 Tour de France as defending champion and and was quite a diminished figure. He had the um the back injury to contend with. Um and he did come back last year and won the Giro d'Italia. He went to the Vuelta um not in in full fitness, two kilos overweight as he tells me in this interview and nevertheless put in a real fighting, battling performance which seemed to be important to him and I think he still feels as though he's coming back and isn't quite sure whether he's at the level of Pogacar and Roglic Um, but he has signed a new five year contract with Ineos um, after rumours at the end of last year that he was unhappy and that he was Looking at other teams, including cofferdis then he saw point. the
3: jersey and he thought, "No." Then he saw
1: the jersey no. and it began to look even more attractive. Um, <laughs>
3: although Lionel, you were having sec- you were going
1: to correct yourself. I was. on that on on second viewing.
3: Yeah, I feel I've been a bit harsh. I, Not I think so it's disappointing after all. I think it's the typeface of the cofferdis logo, which of course the jersey designer can't do anything about. They're stuck with that. Um, but I think yeah, the logo, the Cofidis logo itself, is what is um, letting the jersey down. But um, Oh, well. I'm not going not gonna to die on that particular hill. <laughs> well, that listen, let's hear from Cat Egan Clan. Bernal
1: and his wonderful <laughs> Wi-Fi in, uh, in Colombia, where he's been training very, very hard, judging from Strava putting in big rides. Um, and
2: uh, I mean, everyone um, looks like they're training hard on Strava. Even Richard Moore looks like he's training yeah, hard on Strava. True. <laughs> I mean. true,
1: true. Yeah, that's true. That's what Strava's for. Anyway, here's Egan Bernal. You said in an interview recently that you were returning to the path that you took in 2019, and I wondered if that meant with training as well. Are you are you going back and doing the same similar kind of training that you did back in 2019?
6: No, I think every year is different. So uh, we need to do for sure something something different. Uh, we will do different races and uh, also. The cycling, I think, has changed a little bit from 19 to now, so also the training needs to change a little bit. Can you tell me when you're heading
1: uh, over to Europe? I understand you're you're opening your season in Provence. What does your racing calendar look like after Provence?
6: Normally, yes, I go to uh, Provence. I start the season there. Then I should go to UAE, UAE Tour. Then we will see how, how the legs are and where I I need, I need to go after. But so far, I, I know that they go into Provence, UAE, and of course, uh, Le Tour. But I don't know exactly the, the races yet. We saw you
1: last year um, ride very well at Strada Bianca. Would you like to do more one-day races? Is that something you'd like to add to your calendar this year again?
6: Mm, I, I would like to to raise more these uh, one-day races for sure. But uh, I need to also to, to focus my my season and my calendar in in the in the big tours. I think this is my 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 biggest goal. But uh, yeah, I would like to to do some uh, one-day races.
1: Are there any that particularly appeal? I mean, Liege, Baston, Liege, or any others that you would like to ride?
6: Yeah, maybe La Lieja, also Flecha. These, these two races could be good races for me, maybe. And
1: obviously, the Tour de France is your, your big goal this year. Um, there's a lot, quite a lot, relatively speaking, quite a lot of time trialing, and obviously the cobbled stage as well. Are those things that you're thinking about working on to to try and be ready?
6: Uh, yes, I'm trying to to improve a little bit in, in the TT. It's one of those stages where I can lose time, so I need to to improve. But uh, in the cobbles, I I think can be a a good option. And yeah, the tour for sure is is really really hard, so. You just need to, to be at your 100%. I'm for sure the, the strongest.
1: Do you like riding the cobbles? Is it something that you, you're not scared of? Do you enjoy it?
6: I think I just ride once in the cobbles and I crash like four times. Mm. Oh dear. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's one stage where I'm la- like really looking for. I think it can be a good option. I have a, a good team and I think I could enjoy a little bit this, this stage Is it important
1: to you to race against some of your rivals for the tour before the tour you know Pogachar, Roglic those riders
6: mm, Not really I mean for sure we will race together in some races but uh, every race is different and uh, in every race we arrive in, in a different uh, performance so for me it's not that important to 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 race against one of those riders, I think.
1: Who do you think is, is more dangerous? You you went up against Roglic at the at the Vuelta last year. You've not raced against Pogacar all that much. I mean, what are your impressions of Pogacar and, and how difficult do you think he is to beat?
6: Yeah, the, those two riders are one of the strongest. But uh, you just need to focus in yourself, as, as I said before. Right? I think you don't need to to think too much about about this. You you know what you need to do to to win a Grand Tour.
1: And I guess the team is important as well. It's a, it's a factor in the race. Are you happy with the team that you're likely to have at, at the Tour de France? A few changes over the winter, but are you confident that your team is you know as strong as as the other teams?
6: Yes, for sure. I'm really really happy with the with the team I have. Uh, I mean, we have like uh, 11, 12 riders that ca- could go in the, in the tour and everyone is, is one of the best. So it's, it's even difficult to just uh, do this this selection for, 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 for the tour. I think for sure I could have uh, one of the strongest team, teams in, in, in the tour in general.
1: You've just signed a, a long-term contract with the, the team. Um, there were reports that you were looking at other options. Was that a genuine possibility or was it always likely that you would stay with, with the team?
6: I, I had a two years contract yet. So personally, I, 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 was, I was just talking with uh, with uh, Ineos. Uh, I was uh, looking for this uh, new contract because uh, I, I want to to pass my, my best years uh, here. I, I won the, the Tour and the Giro here and, and I know the team, I know my, my group and uh, I think they have a lot of respect for me and I feel comfortable here. So for me, my first option was always us. Uh, I wondered,
1: what do you look back, you've won the Giro and the Tour, at the Giro, you know, you were you wore the, the leader's jersey for a lot of the race, you won stages there. And the Tour de France, you won it in in slightly strange circumstances um, with the way that the, the stage was um shortened and, and so on. Which which of those two races do you look back on most fondly? Which do you have the best memories of? That Giro victory or the Tour de France victory?
6: Mm, these two are different because the first one, for sure, was the Tour, and I was not expecting to win the Tour de France, uh, so it was special. But then, in the Giro, I I came back from a big injury. Uh, I was not uh, in my in my best, and I had still having some problems uh, sometimes in the back. I wanted to to show to myself that I I could uh, win a Grand Tour again. These two are, are like really different uh,
1: feelings. And with that in mind, and given the way that you won that Tour de France, you know, how, how motivated are you to, to go back to the Tour de France, win, win a stage, wear the yellow jersey, and win that race again? Is that is that something that really sort of gets you up in the morning and, and motivates you in training?
6: I just want to to try to have that yellow jersey in the last stage. I don't care if I win stages or not uh, during the race I think the most important is to, to wear that jersey in the in, in Paris
1: Egan you mentioned your your back injury what's the state of your your back now is that is it something that you get treatment for still or, or are you okay
6: no I still I still working in in the in the back but uh, at the same time I'm I'm feeling a bit better so if I compare the feelings I have now and last year uh, for sure now are better. So,
1: You don't feel that it's affecting you too much in, in training and, and in racing as long as you have the, the treatment as well?
6: Yes, I, I think we need to also be, be careful with the trainings and uh, the races the way I, r- I race but uh, I have good support in, with the team with my coach and good physios so yeah, hopefully it will
1: works I mentioned the vuelta you know, you weren't able to win the vuelta but you contributed a lot to the race was that important to you you know you you really uh, um added a lot of aggression and, and and really took the race to Roglic on the day to Lagos de Covadonga um, was it important to you to, to race like that and to excite people
6: yes i think for me it's... It's is what, it's what I like now to 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 ride like this. Sometimes you can't because you 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 can win or lose the, the race. But uh, this year, last year in La Vuelta, I knew that I was not in my in my best. I was I had COVID just maybe one month and a half before, and I was two kilos more. So uh, I knew from the beginning that I. It was impossible for me to, to win the Vuelta, so I prefer to, to race like this, like uh, more, more aggressive. It's good to, to attack, people likes and me too, so yeah, it was, was good race to, to have fun. But you prefer to win? Yeah, for sure.
0: The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science.
1: Thank you very much indeed to our longtime sponsor, Science and Sport, back with us once again in 2022. We're grateful to them for their continued support of the Cycling Podcast and all our spin off shows. And if you would like 25% off all your Science and Sport products, you still can using the code SISCP25 at scienceandsport.com. That's SISCP25 at scienceandsport.com. Lionel will no doubt be giving us more taste tests in the coming weeks as he continues his own riding training for various challenges this year. Um, But not a Grand Tour, I don't think, is on your programme this year, Lionel. You're shaking your head. And we heard before the break from Egan Bernal, um, who is riding the Tour de France. And... Yes, he was talking a bit about his, his team and there was were some very interesting comments from Rowan Dennis recently. He has moved from Ineos to Jumbo Visma and, I mean, he can be quite outspoken, Rowan Dennis, of course, but he said that he felt at Ineos they were copying Jumbo Visma a lot and that um, they were behind, that, that Jumbo Visma were kind of at the vanguard now and leading the sport in many ways. Um, I'm sure you saw the footage of their new service course um, recently, which was it was an exceptional video showing a, a really exceptional setup, um, service course offices headquarters shop, um, just a, an incredible um, investment that's clearly been made in that team, which short, sort of shows uh, their ambition. I think as much as anything, and their their ambition to remain uh, as a as a, an institution uh, for many years to come. I've got to with Richard Pluger, the boss there, next week actually. So we'll be hearing from him in the in the podcast in the coming uh, weeks. But um, yeah, it was an interesting comments from Ruan Dennis. What did you make of them, Daniel? Was that, was he just buttering up his 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 new team, or is there something in that? Do you think?
2: I mean, I, I think. We've all had a sense of this for a while and some of it is just assumptions on our part, you know, those of us who stand on the outside. Um, partly because it's, a, it's just a theme across all sports and across even, you know, business. It's, it's very difficult to be a sort of an, an innovator, a visionary, a pioneer, either repeatedly, either more than once or for a very long period of time. And the sort of, the, the shelf life on the kind of visionary, innovative, groundbreaking phase of what was Sky and is now INEOS, um, you know, that that had possibly run out after 10 years. They've been doing it for such a long time. I mean, I mean I'm really intrigued by what role Dan Bigham is going to have at INEOS this year and exactly how involved he's going to be because obviously they, they, they had... Brought someone at the very start of their journey, they brought someone in, Tim Kerrison, who came from uh, another other sports, another world, and he brought ideas that were undoubtedly very different for a professional cycling. And I, I think it's probably undeniable that, you know, a large part of their advantage came from what Kerrison brought, some of the, the sort of lateral tangential thinking that Kerrison brought. And with him, well, having you know, spent so much time in the team and then finally having left... Um, at the end of last year, were they conscious of the need to to find someone of that ilk again? And is Bigham that guy? I mean, you know, one individual is not going to completely change or revolutionize a team's fortunes but I I just wonder whether there is an effort and also with Dave Brailsford taking on a new role as sort of Ineos's head of sports I believe that he is still going to be you know he's still going to be at races maybe a little bit less than he had been previously but not too much has changed on that front but you know Rod Ellingworth uh, now has more responsibility or has had in the last couple of years so you do sense on their part there is a a sort of desire to create, you know, it's sort of Sky 2.0 or Ineos 2.0. There's a desire to kind of press control out, delete and and and, and reboot somehow.
1: It's interesting, Daniel, you mentioned earlier teams drawing, other teams drawing their resources, some of their resources away from the tour because uh, it looks, uh, you know, with Yumbo Visma, um, UAE Team Emirates and um, Ineos Grandias bringing their heavy artillery to that, race and um with the riders they've got, you know, how how there might be very little for everybody else. Um and it I mean the the your ability as a team to really target a grand tour hinges on the calibre, the quality of your leader. And and there's a reason why when we look ahead to the grand tours and potential winners, we only really talk about the three guys that won them last year, um Pogacar, Roglic and Bernal, we barely mention other riders um so it's a real it's a real gamble to um to target gc but a team that's doing that and is really um you know shifting its its focus from uh, classics and and winning races to gc in grand tours and stage races is Bora Hansgrohe and um, they're kind of doing the reverse of what team Sunweb now team DSM did a couple of years ago when Tom Dumoulin moved on and and they they completely changed their focus and became, you know, stage hunters, one day winners, um, and that, that became their their main focus. And they talked about how liberating that was because having a, a GC leader in Tom Dumoulin just soaked up so much uh, resource um, from, from everywhere else in the team in terms of riders and staff. Um, the Bora-Hansgrohe are now going down this road. They've lost Peter Sagan, who's been their their focal point for for several years. and the void that that's left has has um has has meant that they've they've had a real they are having a real change of direction um they've brought in Rolf Aldag um to uh, as a sports director and they've uh, brought in writers like Alexander Vlasov, Jai Hindley uh, and others to um really target GC in um stage races and I think it's a long term process. I don't think we'll see the the fruits of that this year, but I'm going to be really interested to to watch them on that journey, um, and you spoke the other day, I think, to Rolf Aldag, uh, the new man at the uh, in in the sports director's chair.
2: In well, team. yes, Rich. I mean, just on the previous point we were making about Ineos and how long they have been pursuing basically the same goals. It's starting to. Well, it's, it's several years now, although Jumbo Visma haven't yet won the Tour de France, where they've been ostensibly, essentially doing the same thing. And Rolf Aldag talked well about how much. Borahans grower can take from them, how much those teams might be. So, maybe stale is the wrong word, but uh, maybe there's an opportunity for teams for whom it's a fresher challenge um, to be targeting the Grand Tour. So here is Rolf uh, speaking this week on precisely that.
4: They have a lot of success already. Uh, you know What they're really limited is there's not a lot of growth that they can still have because they achieved it all. So, you know, the level of, of, for us on motivation to say, well, we're going to target, you know, a podium in a grand tour. It's different than to say, if things go not perfectly, it's already a bad season. So I think, you know, the psychology is on our side because we are growing, we are involved in, in every new stuff. And we're also not like running that program for so long, because as you know, like it's maybe like a very old marriage. It just becomes like a normal habit and uh, and there's not too much fret. and so I think here with now having a lot of new people and having a lot of uh, having a new concept with technical partners that are really into it into you know driving the whole performance side is a really really nice combination because let's say none of us is mentally tired from 11 years trying to win the Tour de France which at the end of the day and was, you know uh, respect for them they achieved it so so many times but you have to be careful that you don't come into this routine, which kind of like, you know, it just makes you doing the same thing. And on the other hand, uh, they do good things. I mean, we do understand that, that they have a very good setup and uh, both of them, Jumbo Visma and the nails. So we, we, we are fully aware that we have to pull out something really, really special to beat those teams. And of course, you know, UAE you is also not really, um, to be forgotten about it.
3: Like you, Richard, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Bora-Hansgrohe make this transition uh, to focusing on the GC. It looks like the Giro d'Italia is going to be their first big appointment. And when you look at the list of riders that are tentatively down to ride the Giro, in the absence of the big three, it's an incredibly open race ahead of us Um, Ineos have got Richard Carapaz, Richie Porte, Tao Geigenhardt, and Tom Pidcock on their provisional list. The likes of Miguel Ango Lopez, Vincenzo Nibali, Joao Almeida, Mikel Landa, Tom de Moulin, Simon Yates. I mean, it's a, a really interesting and eclectic and I would say a very even looking field there. Whereas the, the focus at the Tour de France will be a, across those uh, big three. The Giro is a completely different beast and may well benefit from that as well as the sort of the fact that it's the first of the races and the first opportunity to see um, some of these riders given a, a sort of leadership opportunity.
2: Yes, Lionel, and I think it just reflects what we were talking about before, that a lot of these teams have decided they're not going to win the Tour de France and that it's not really worth their while competing for, you know, or putting a lot of resources into possibly finish, finishing 4th, 5th, 6th and 7th in the, the Tour. But Bora, I mean, on paper, they are definitely going to have one of the, hard, uh, one of the strongest teams in the Giro. I mean, the the, Trident, the Troika, uh, the leaders are Hindley, um, who, of course, came within well, a, few, a minute or so in a day of winning the Giro in 2020. Uh, Emmanuel Buchmann, who was pretty well on course to, to, to challenge for the podium last year when he crashed out, I think, on stage 14. And then Wilco Kelderman, who, of course, also nearly won the Giro a couple of years ago. And he's be, he'll be reunited with Hindley. I mean, I spoke to Jai Hindley this week. The... Obviously, you know, that 2020 Giro with hindsight and, well, even at the time we said it was a strange Giro, it was the COVID year and there were three riders, Theo, Gegenhardt, Kelderman and Hindley, who hadn't really challenged to win Grand Tours before and they were all in the shake-up. And it's easy to sort of take a, 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 an unflattering view of that Giro and say that it was a, a, an anomalous year. But Jai Hindley was pretty, hes he's pretty confident that, you know, you could have, Taken that that Giro and put it in in the Giro's normal position in any other year, and he would have been contending. Um, He he says that you know it was a certainly in terms of numbers it was a strong Grand Tour. His numbers were fantastic, and I think um, he'll go really well this year because it's a it's a fantastically mountainous uh, Giro. Fifty three thousand meters of almost fifty four thousand meters of climbing. There are there are nine stages with over three thousand meters of. Of climbing there and they, they've also got some um, some other strong riders in the team it's not just those three Leonard Kemner will be an asset um, Matteo Fabro as well
1: and I mentioned earlier that you know when it comes to the tour we only talk about those those big three um, but when we talk about the, the Grand Tours more generally it would be remiss not to mention Bahrain Victorious because they were in, in some ways the team of the Grand Tours last year um, and you know, but again, they're they're just maybe lacking a, a rider on their roster who 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 can win one. Um, I think they're sending Jack Haig to the um the Tour de France this year, Mika Landa to the the Giro and the the Tour, and they they, they surprised with with one or two riders, Caruso at the Giro last year, for example, um, Gino Mader at the Vuelta as well. Caruso,
2: who's been sent to the Tour, which has caused a bit of a kerfuffle in the mm. Italian press. Yeah, they've got
1: they've got their Trident at the tour, haven't they? With Landa, Haig, and Caruso, so great record in cycling of Trident's uh, team. Trident's doing very well, of course. So we wait to see what happens there. What else is making your mouth water this year, Lionel?
3: Well, one thing I've been trying to get my head around, chaps, is how the UCI's world ranking system is going to influence or not influence the races and particularly the Grand Tours, because at the end of this season, uh, potentially teams could be promoted and relegated from the World Tour, to and from the World Tour, based on that ranking system. And uh, I've been trying to get my head around it. I've spoken to a few people in the sport about it. Um, I'll just read what Jonathan Vaughters said. He said, honestly, you can quote me on this. I do not give a rat's ass about their system and will absolutely not ask my directors or riders to chase points. It's a system designed by people who do not understand how to make racing better and do not have any empathy for or knowledge of how teams operate. Uh, quite a strong reaction from EF Education. So he's quite undecided, e- is he? Quite, quite <laughs>
1: yeah. ambivalent I mean, about it. Yeah.
3: I mean, he's his team, EF Education, are sort of lower mid-table, not in immediate danger of relegation, but there's really a, a, a good, Eight, ten teams very evenly matched on points. Currently, as we start the season, it's Kofidis and Lotto-Sudal who are the two World Tour teams in danger of relegation, and it's Alpesin Fenix and Arkea Samsic who may take their place um, if things finished as they currently stand. There's a whole season to gain points, of course, and the controversial bit, I think, as far as the World Tour teams are concerned, is that points from non-World Tour races. Count towards the ranking. So there are a few sort of funky possibilities as the season gets towards the pointy end and people do start looking at how the points are totting up that teams might have to send riders to smaller races to try and uh, pick off some lower hanging fruit, so to speak, and, and get the points they need to stay safe. But I think this uh, raises an issue of, of whether or not a, an overarching team ranking system um, really adds or detracts from the actual spectacle of stage racing, but also one day racing. And it's something I'll look at in a, a future episode. I've been speaking to a few people, but just a little quiz. Who are the top three in the team's ranking, chaps? Do you know as it stands? Oh. I
1: mean, um, I'll say... Quick Step, UAE, Jumbo Visma. Well, it's
3: Quick Step, Jumbo Visma, and Ineos at the moment. UAE are in fourth place, but I think that says it all really—that we're not exactly focused on who is topping this ranking. Um, it doesn't have a great deal of significance in terms of how the races are, 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 um, pan out, but it could have serious consequences for a team um if they were to lose their world tour status as a result should say that um the teams in line for promotion still have to meet all of the other kind of um financial and other criteria um, to be awarded a world tour license. So, I mean, in an era where we've lost more teams than we've seen come along, uh, it's not as if there's a, you know, a sort of, um, uh, musical chairs dash for world tour licenses at the moment is there. We've seen, uh, CCC bite the dust. We've seen Quebec next hash bite the dust. And it hasn't been the case that there've been multiple takers for those, um, world tour licenses. um, so it's a, it's an unusual situation this season because the, the, the relegation aspect of it potentially kicks in at the end of this year, which is the, the end of an initial three-year cycle with these rankings. But it's certainly a story that's crept up on me a little bit, and it's not one that I really factor in when I'm watching the races. I don't think, oh, they're chasing because they might squirrel away another 30 points for um, 10th place. Um, but, yeah, a subject I'll return to.
1: Who will be cycling's Novak Djokovic? Could be another uh, burning question this year. Um, Some stats on how much of the um, professional cycling peloton is vaccinated. And the figure is not as high as you might think among the men's world tour. It's much higher in the women's world tour than in the men's world tour. It was in December. It may have changed since then. But um, increasingly in in Europe and in France, certainly, Riders are going. To, athletes are probably going to have to have been vaccinated to compete. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think this year as well.
3: I spoke to Matt White of Bike Exchange this week about the world rankings, and I did ask him about the Djokovic situation. Obviously, uh, Novak Djokovic was deported from Australia, unable to take part in the Australian Open. Um, and he said, Matt White said that ninety nine percent of his team's riders are vaccinated so that's obviously a very high percentage but there will clearly be some athletes who for whatever reason have chosen not to be vaccinated and uh, like you say rich i mean i think the french regulation currently the way they're talking about it will only apply to indoor sporting events is that right i'm not
1: well that is one yeah that that's not really clear at the moment but that is one inter- possible interpretation yeah
3: but freely moving across borders, you know, different countries will have different criteria. So, yeah, it could well be that it has an impact on sport.
1: If 1% of his riders aren't vaccinated and he has 30 riders, that means 0.3. Yeah, that's what 0.3 I was thinking. of a rider isn't vaccinated. So it's somebody's leg, perhaps,
2: or leg. Well, maybe they've arms. only had
3: one vaccination and not the second or the booster. Anything else, Daniel? What are you looking forward to?
2: Lots of things, Richard. I always get accused by you chaps of lacking enthusiasm. On the contrary, <laughs> um, I'm bursting with enthusiasm, for particularly for the Grand Tours. A whole list of things here. Um, Tom Dumoulin. Oh, yes. Um, returns to the Giro d'Italia, the race of his heart. You know, I'm the reason I'm going to the Giro is because of my feelings toward the race. Tom Dumoulin, I mean, I still And what, and what
1: did Tom Dumoulin say?
2: <laughs> I still have not recovered from the... Uh, the the sobering realization, or the the shock of Tom Dumoulin having run thirty two minutes thirty eight seconds in a ten kilometer running race this this winter. Do you know what that would have That's won? Even better than two my best of,
1: time, isn't it? Well,
2: it would have won. I'm not going to let you say what your best time is because that was clearly you're clearly angling to. <laughs> um, that would have won two out of three semifinals in the twen- in the nineteen twenty Olympics in Antwerp. Um, he would have finished eighth in the ten thousand meter final in the nineteen twenty Olympics in Antwerp. Tom Dumoulin, what a specimen! He would have
1: he would have had to have a big a big mustache though as well.
2: <laughs> yes, um, Mark Padun. I'm interested to see how he gets on at EF. There's been a lot of talk about his weight issues and you know the nutritionist he'll be working with at uh, at um, EF. I mean, he was working with a nutritionist at Bahrain, um, but yeah, um, we'll see how that goes. Um, but Thibaut Pina, I think. Yeah, that France is collectively holding its breath about Thibaut Pino. He's been doing this fantastic series of columns in West France, the newspaper, but, um, you know, saying things, a couple of quotes here, I'm on the margins of this milieu and of society in general. Um, I mean... What about Thibaut Pino? Well, yeah, I mean, he is in danger. The, my big fear about Thibaut Pino—and and there's no bigger Thibaut Pinot fan than me, but he is sort of in danger of embracing this kind of this identica of a sort of flip-flopped hipster drifter or neo-luddite who, you know, only interacts with other human beings when the moon is in its waxing crescent <laughs> and, you know, only eats or refuses to eat primary coloured solid foods. Camps you know, in a yurt at races
3: instead of staying in the hotel. yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, there was a long tract in this interview dedicated to how on New Year's Eve, he, you know, he got about 50 WhatsApp messages and he you know, was terrorised by this, wouldn't look at his phone for several days because he knew that he would have to reply to these New Year's messages on WhatsApp. I mean, this, is, this all feeds into the myth. And what about Timo Pino? Yeah, yeah. I expect Timo Pino to announce his move to Berlin any day. But... <laughs> um, but this all, of course, feeds into the mystique and what we all love about Thibaut Pino, but I'm not sure how much it sort of helps helps him, really. Although there are there are encouraging noises coming from the Thibaut Pino camp and from Thibaut himself. Um, he seems to have, well, he's trained well all winter and um, he wants to start winning or be competitive straight away this season, early this season. And I think he, he will be. Um, the other... One rich group Armor FDJ that I'm really looking forward to seeing is um, another one of my favourites, the cycling Pelé, Michael Storer, who has moved there this year. In fact, let's hear his pal, Jai Hindley, um, former teammate at DSM, telling us what we should expect from Michael Storer this year. I know what we should expect from Michael Storer. He's going to win the state of Lausanne, the Tour de France. Um, put your money on now. But here was Jai Hindley speaking to me earlier this week about Michael Storer. Yeah, Mark is a pretty uh, interesting guy for sure. But uh, I think honestly, that guy can do whatever he wants. He's super
4: strong. Yeah, I think a lot of the people in the cycling world were like quick to to write him off or something. But uh, I've known him for a long time and I know that guy is a machine. So really, if he does something crazy at the tour, don't be surprised, I would say.
2: Lots of other things in addition to Stora Pino Dumoulin Rich. Um, we haven't got time for them either, though because um, yeah, it's a long list. Uh, Juan Ayuso. It's a, it's a long season. Juan Ayuso was the, I've already mentioned him, UAE, I think um, you know, he's 19 years of age. I think he'll get his debut at the Huerta the, uh, Hispania and he could do a POG, what POG did in 2019 when he won three stages.
1: Someone who I don't think will do a pog, but we heard from him last week. Kian Uterbrooks, this great um, youngest rider in the world tour, um, and uh, thanks for all the feedback on that that episode because he he's a very charming young guy, and looking forward to seeing what he does. Corrections corner, of the Daniel. I have to have to correct you on your claim that there's no greater Thibaut Pino fan than you. Our dear friend, friend of the podcast, um, Moyin Islam would uh, would fight you for that if he wasn't peace-loving man, and he would lay claim to that title, I'm sure. Speaking of friends of the podcast, um, if you sign up as a friend of the podcast, you can, of course, access our enormous archive now of episodes, including the Christmas selection box released between Christmas and New Year, um, which included lots of goodies. You've just added uh, the... In Search of the Pink Panther, the episode that you did a couple of years ago, Lionel, that's been added to the feed as well for all friends of the podcast can listen to that. Fantastic episode. And we've got a very interesting uh, three-part series coming very soon, guest edited by three friends of the podcast. And we'll give you a bit more information about that in the, in the next couple of weeks. Should we wrap things up, though, for this first regular episode of 2022 service course coming later this week it's a rally special and cycle podcast Femina returning next week as well so lots to come up and uh, we'll be back next week too looking ahead to the classics we'll have a bit um, on Matthew van der Poel and his injury woes at the moment but um, lots to discuss in that episode next week so in the meantime thank you very much Lionel thank you Richard thank you Daniel
2: thank you chaps
1: You've been listening to The Cycling Podcast with Lionel Burney, Daniel Freib and Richard Moore. To become a friend of the podcast or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Our theme music is by Glass Pear, and this episode was produced by Hugh Owen.